we think, well, really the main part is going to be, you know, number 20. Well, number 20 really is a whole different series in itself that we're going to get to a little bit later on in the year, right? Um, but this is what he says. After we go and after we tell them about Jesus Christ and they accept Christ as their Savior, then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, why would he include baptizing in the Great Commission? You ever thought about that? Why would he include baptizing in the Great Commission, right? Well, let's think about it. Does does baptism help us go to heaven? No, baptism doesn't help us go to heaven. Does baptism give us some special grace that, you know, God just is, you know, like, oh, you get baptized, you get this special grace? No. So it doesn't help us go to heaven. God doesn't give us some extra special grace because we get baptized. So why include it in the Great Commission? Well, by doing it is obedience, but why would he actually put it in the Great Commission? Now, we do it because of obedience, right? But why would he actually say to baptize? Why do you say baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, and the Holy Ghost? By the way, and we're going to get into this a little, bit, a little bit later, this has probably caused more Christians to be martyred and persecuted than any other doctrine other than salvation. Now, some of you, that just came to as a shock, too. Baptism has caused more Bible-believing Christians to be persecuted and martyred than any other doctrine other than salvation. That in itself ought to tell us that it is an important thing. It's an important thing. Again, baptism is not part of salvation, right? Um, a person can be saved, not be baptized, and still die and go to heaven. It's not part of salvation. So why include baptism here? We're going to look tonight at a couple of different things um, that have to do with baptism, right? Um, we're going to look at the right method of baptism. We're going to look at the right authority in baptism. We're going to look at the right candidate in baptism. And then we're going to really look and see why baptism is, is important and why Christians throughout the centuries have been persecuted and have been martyred because of this, right? So let's, let's look tonight at a couple things dealing with baptism. Let's look, first of all, at the right method, right? We're going to look at the right method of baptism. The right method, we believe, the Bible teaches that the right method of baptism is what we would call immersion. Immersion, right? The word baptize is basically taken from the Greek word baptizo, right? And the word baptizo means to immerse or to place under. So the word baptize literally means to be immersed, right? That's what it literally means. It literally means to be placed under, Okay, so when we think of baptism, I know there are different methods that some churches use for baptism. Uh, some churches will sprinkle. Uh, some churches will take what they call holy water, whatever, and, and make a sign of the cross on their forehead or something like that. But none of those methods are the right biblical method. Again, baptism means to be placed under, to immerse. Sprinkling does not immerse. Um, the, the sign of the cross on the forehead, that does not immerse. You say, well, can you prove that in, in Scripture? Well, yes. Go to book, the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. In verse number 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway. And what are those next four words? Out of the water. Right? 
Is that right? Those next four words are out of the water, right? So if he came out of the water, guess where he was? He was in the water, right? He was in the water. To be able to come out of the water, he had to be in the water. Now, again, think with me. If if baptism is just a sprinkling or putting uh, a little bit of water on somebody's forehead or something, why would Jesus and John the Baptist be in the river? There's no need to be in the river, right? John the Baptist could have easily grabbed a cup of water from the bank and sprinkled or done whatever, right? But it says that he came out of the water because John the Baptist is in the water baptizing because the word baptism means what? Immersion. It means to be immersed, to be placed under, right? Go with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 8. Acts, chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8, in verse number 36, says, and they went on their way. We're talking about Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is teaching him about Jesus Christ from the book of Isaiah. It says, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. This would be like an oasis. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Notice verse number 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down, what are those next four words? Both into the water. So here's this oasis they've come upon. And he says, look, here is water. Even, even this Ethiopian eunuch that didn't know much about the Bible, that didn't know much about Scripture, understood that baptism needed lots of water. He said, look, here's water. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you not think that they probably had some jugs of water on the caravan that they were with? I'm pretty sure they did. They're traveling through the desert. I'm pretty sure they had some water with them. So why didn't he say, hey, we've got some water here in this little cup. Why don't you baptize me? Because even the Ethiopian eunuch understood that that word means you have to be immersed in. You have to be placed under And so when they came upon this oasis, as Philip is saying, he said, hey, look, there's enough water there to baptize me. There's enough water in that oasis to baptize me. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And of course, he says, you needed to be saved. And then he says, I believe. And he says, they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. So the right method of baptism is what we, again, what we believe is immersion, right? It's immersion. Now, Please understand, the, the, the purpose, and we're, I don't want to jump ahead here, but immersion means they're, they're just, there has to be enough water for somebody to be placed under it, right? It's not saying that you, just because John was baptizing in the Jordan River doesn't mean that a person has to be baptized in a river, right? I've heard people say, unless you're baptized in a river, then, then that's not real baptism. And here's the question I'll ask him, Why? Why does somebody have to be baptized in a river? And this is their response. Because the river washes away their sin. Well, see, they don't even understand what baptism is in the first place, then, do they? Right? Baptism does not have to be in a river. It doesn't have to be with flowing water. Right? You can be baptized in a pool. You can be baptized in a pond. You can be baptized in a creek. You can be baptized, you can be baptized in the ocean. You can be baptized in a baptistry in a church. It's not about where you're baptized. It's about is there enough water to be immersed? Is there enough water there, right? And so baptism, the right method is immersion. It's the only biblical method. And here's why. Why is it the only biblical method? Because baptism is a picture of something, right? What is baptism a picture of? There are three things that baptism is a picture of. What is it? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when someone is standing in the water, again, it doesn't matter where it is, they're standing in the water, and that water is crossing their body, this is a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. Right? Then when they are placed under the water, what is that a picture of? It's the picture of the burial of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you something. 
when Jesus was buried, did they just sprinkle some dirt on him? No. Guess what? He was immersed. He was completely covered. You could not see him, right? They put him in the grave and they rolled that stone on. You couldn't see him there, okay? He was completely immersed in the earth, buried, right? When we bury someone, right, what do we talk about? We talk about six feet under, right? We dig a hole six feet down. What are they? You're burying them. You're completely immersing them in a burial, okay? That's what... When, when, we, we have, when we have them go under the water, it's a picture of the burial of Jesus Christ. And then when we bring them up out of the water, aren't you glad Jesus resurrected? <laughs> if not, we'd all be dead in baptism. <laughs> There's no resurrection. Just stay down there, buddy. It's all right. You know? No, the, the resurrection. So what happens? After they are buried, they are coming out of the water. There's the picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, again, think about this. How does a sprinkling show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How does just putting some uh, water on someone's forehead or something like that, how does that show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It doesn't, right? Just as the Lord's Supper shows, in the Lord's Supper, you have the bread, which is representing his body. You have the juice, which is representing his blood. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. So the same way with baptism, you have the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of what he has done for us. Think about what he says in the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. There's the death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There again, he's saying, look, baptism is a picture. It's showing the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a picture there, right? And that's why the, the right method of baptism is important, okay? It's important. It's vital. It's very important. Okay? It has to show the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? Number two, not only do we have the right method, but we must have the right authority. The right authority. Again, go back with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The right authority. Who can baptize. Who can baptize? Can anybody baptize? Can just anybody that says, hey, I just, I just feel like I want to baptize somebody. Do we have that authority? Do we have that right to baptize? There has to be the right authority, right? Look in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples, and he's giving a foundation for something. What is this foundation of? The foundation is of the church. The foundation is of the church, right? The authority to baptize is not given to an individual. It is given to the church. The church is the one that has the authority to baptize, right? Nobody can just wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I want to baptize somebody. They don't have that authority. Now, can they do that? Well, sure they can, but they don't have the authority of God to do it. Just like somebody can sprinkle somebody, but that, that's not the way God says it should be done, right? And so baptism, there must be the right authority. It's not just given to anyone to baptize, Okay? I mean, you think about this as we go through Scripture here. Again, um, when we think about even in Acts, as we just read, what authority did Philip have to baptize the Ethiopian eunuch? Did Philip just say, hey, you know, I just, you know I'm out here and I led this guy to Christ, and so I'm going to baptize him? No. That's not what Philip said. Why did Philip have the authority to baptize? Because the church gave him the authority. When you go back to Acts chapter 6, go back to Acts chapter 6 with me. In Acts chapter 6, what happens? We don't have time to read the whole thing, but 
they're wanting to have elders or deacons in the church. And he says in verse number three, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually prayer and the ministry of the word, and saying, Please the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied. What happened here? The church gives these men authority, right? Again, me as, a, as myself, as an individual, I do not have authority to baptize anybody. I don't have that authority, right? When I, was, when I went to Uganda as a missionary, when I arrived and somebody got saved, me as an individual, I did not have authority to baptize them. I have no authority to do that, okay? Now, I was able to baptize. Why? I did baptize. Why? Who gave me the authority to do that? First Baptist Church did. First Baptist Church sent me as a missionary to Uganda. That authority was given to me by the church, not just as an individual, not just by me saying, hey, I want to I see somebody get saved and I, I want to be able to baptism. No. I don't have that authority. The only reason that I was able to baptize those believers in Uganda is because of the authority given to me by the church. Then when that church began to be autonomous, and now that church is there, that authority is given to them, and now they can say who can baptize from that church, right? Just like, again, it's not just anybody to say, hey, you know, I, just, I, I think I'm going to decide that I can baptize. No, no, no. The authority must come from the church, right? And, and if, the, if there is no authority there, if the authority is not there from the church, then the baptism isn't what God says it's supposed to be, right? And so we have to have the right method, which is immersion. There has to be the right method. There has to be the right authority. Look, a lot of people can have good intentions and good hearts, but we want to be biblical. We want to be Bible-based in what we're doing. Amen? Isn't that right? We want to be Bible-based, okay? And so people can have good intentions, but we must have the right authority. It must, that authority must come from the church, right? And then number three, you must have the right candidate, the right candidate for baptism, right? What do we mean by that? Well, when we say the right candidate, we're talking about a person who has believed in Jesus Christ. We're talking about a person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Again, think with me here in Acts chapter 8, what is happening? Philip is there. He's teaching this man about Jesus Christ from the book of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, I'll get baptized. Go ahead, baptize me. And notice what Philip says. And Philip said, If thou believest, in verse 37, with all thine heart, thou mayest. Philip says there is a prerequisite for someone being baptized. The prerequisite is the only time that a person can be baptized is if that person has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That person has believed he said, thou mayest if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And after Philip had preached to him Jesus from the book of Isaiah, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And it was after his believing that what happened? Philip said, okay, now, now I can baptize you, right? You go back to um, earlier in the chapter, back in uh, verse, number, uh, uh, verse number 12. As Philip is now in Samaria, we'll go to verse number five. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So you had people getting, they were getting saved. They were believing Philip, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, what happens? They were baptized, both men and women. So watch what happens. Philip preaches. They listen to the message. They believe it. They say, yes, that's true. I believe it. I'm going to accept Jesus Christ. Then Philip says, all right, now you can be baptized. You can be baptized, right? All throughout Scripture, right? I mean, we can go to passage after passage. Go to uh, Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter uh, 16. 
Acts chapter 16, verse number 31. And they said, uh, well, verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. They spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. So they're speaking the word of the Lord to him. They're believing. Then what's it? And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. They said, Look, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe on him. And then after they believed, they were baptized. They were baptized, right? Um, I mean, just all throughout Scripture. Um, look in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Verse number 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Notice what came first. Baptism or believing? Believing. Believing came first, right? Nowhere in Scripture do you find somebody being baptized who has first not believed. They've first not made that profession of faith that they have believed in Jesus Christ, then they get baptized. Why? Because baptism is not part of salvation. Baptism does not save. It's not a completion. It's not you get saved, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, and then now baptism completes the salvation. No, friend. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing at all, right? The thief on the cross. He says, sir, when thou enterest thy kingdom, remember me. What did Jesus say? Well, if you believe and get baptized, then you can go to heaven. No. What did he say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You think that guy got baptized? I don't think so. I think he died on the cross. The Bible tells us he did. He died there. He didn't get baptized. So is Jesus a liar? No, Jesus is not a liar, right? What about all the Old Testament saints? Did Abraham get baptized? Did Abel get baptized? Did Adam get baptized? Did Seth get baptized? Noah? Did, did all these other people get baptized? No. It's not part of salvation. The only thing that is necessary for salvation is what? Belief, faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. Well, the problem is, when you don't have the right method, you don't have the right authority, you don't have the right candidate, guess what you have? Problems. You have problems. You don't have the right method, it's not showing the right picture. You don't have the right authority, you don't have authority to do it. You don't have the right candidate. What's happening today? Well, in our day and age today and in past ages, you find what is called pedo-baptism. I mean, you know what pedo-baptism is? Anybody know what pedo-baptism is? A couple of you do, right? Pedo-baptism is called, as what we would call as infant baptism, right? Infant baptism. Many churches today and throughout the centuries have practiced infant baptism. Let me ask you a question. When did that infant believe? That infant hasn't believed. That infant doesn't even know how to say, you know, dada, mama, whatever. They haven't believed. They don't understand that they're a sinner. They haven't believed, so then why are they being baptized? Well, because in many of these churches, the purpose of the baptism is for what? Salvation. And they're saying if you don't baptize your infant, if you don't baptize your child, if they die, they're going to go to hell. What are they saying? Baptism is part of salvation. Wait a minute. You've got a wrong doctrine here. Baptism is not part of salvation, right? We don't get baptized to be able to go to heaven, right? Again, it's not just obedience to the command of Christ, right? Although it is, we are baptizing in obedience to Christ's command. But see, baptism also identifies us with a specific doctrine, it identifies us with the doctrine of the church that is even baptizing us, right? So if, if somebody were to say, hey, you know, this church over here uh, that, that practices infant baptism, I was baptized there, would you accept my baptism? The answer would be no. The answer would be no. We would not accept that baptism. Why? Because infant baptism is not biblical, 
It's not biblical. You say, well, well, what does it hurt? Well, the one thing, it's teaching a false doctrine. It's teaching salvation is by baptism. Salvation is not by baptism, right? A person does not get saved by being baptized. And so the, the church or the religion or denomination or whatever it might be that we are baptized under, that identifies us with that doctrine. And, and this is where many Baptists have suffered persecution and martyrdom because they would not accept a person's baptism before salvation. You say, well, I was, I was you know, 15 when I got baptized. Were you saved? Well, no, I didn't get saved later until I was 22. Then your baptism at 15 means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Why? Because baptism always comes after believing. It always comes what, what after. What was the purpose of, even if you were baptized properly, even if you were, look, I, I remember I got baptized when I was 12 years of age. I, I told my dad, I told my parents, I told the church that I'd gotten saved. And I got baptized by immersion in a Baptist church. You know what would have happened if I would have died at 13 years of age? I would have gone to hell. Because one, I really didn't get saved. I was just doing it to kind of impress everybody. And that baptism doesn't mean anything. Baptism doesn't save me. So when I was 20 years of age, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And guess what I did right after I accepted Christ as my Savior? I got baptized. You said, well, you got baptized when you were 12. No, I didn't because that baptism didn't mean anything. I wasn't saved then. What's the purpose of showing the death, burial, and resurrection to somebody who's never been saved? There's no purpose to it, right? There's no purpose to it. Even though the method was right, and even though the authority was right, the problem was the candidate wasn't right. It wasn't the right candidate. I wasn't saved. And I say, did the church do something wrong? No, the church just went off of my profession of faith. I said I'd gotten saved. Just like when, I, when, when you're baptized here at First Baptist Church, we can't see your heart to know whether you're really saved or not. We're simply going on your profession of faith. You're saying you've accepted Christ. We're saying, all right, if you've accepted Christ, then you can be baptized. But if you've never accepted Christ, there's no point in being baptized because baptism doesn't save you. What you really need is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. We've been persecuted throughout the centuries because we have not accepted pedo-baptism, infant baptism. We've not accepted baptism of some other denominations and things because it identifies with a false doctrine. Let me just give you a couple examples here. Some of these names you've probably never even heard of before, but I just want to show you that this is not something new, right? This is something that Baptists have, uh, have dealt with all throughout the centuries. Isaac Bacchus was born in Norwich, Connecticut in 1724. He was a Congregationalist who later became a Baptist after studying the biblical teaching of salvation and baptism. This is what he says. Or, uh, Divine justice appeared clear in my condemnation, and I saw that God had a right to do with me as he would. My soul yielded all into his hands, fell at his feet, and was silent and calm before him. And while I sat there, I was enabled by divine light to see the perfect righteousness of Christ and the freeness and riches of his grace with such clearness that my soul was drawn forth to trust in him for salvation. He said, I understand that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. He then led his congregation to follow in believers' baptism. And they adopted the Baptist Confession of Faith. In January 1756, he established a Baptist church in Middleborough, Massachusetts, based on his belief that, this is what he says, truth limits church communion to believers baptized upon a profession of their own faith. This was in 1720, right? He says, truth limits church communion to believers baptized upon profession of their own faith. This was completely contrary to the teaching of the state church. The Congregationalist Church taught infant baptism for salvation and membership. His own words show how firmly he opposed this teaching. 
Truth is never to be violated for anyone. No, not to save natural life, which all lawful means should be used to preserve. And truth so clearly requires baptism before the supper that pedo-baptists do never come to the table with any but such as are baptized in their esteem. You understand what he said? He said that anyone who is a pedo-baptist or believes in infant baptism should never be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. By the way, that's true. Why? Because it is only the Lord's Supper is only for those who are saved, baptized biblically. This is what he was saying, right? He said, neither could we understandably act in being buried in baptism until we were convinced that what was done to us in infancy was not the gospel baptism. He said, look, I was baptized as an infant, and it was wrong. He said, it wasn't true biblical baptism. I think you'll find this interesting. 1644. This is the uh, when, of course, the colonies are just kind of getting started here, but there was... In Massachusetts, what was called the Laws and Liberties of Massachusetts. It was basically all the laws of Massachusetts, right? In this, we find a document written that dealt with the laws needed to sustain a society, like the age of one becoming an adult, the punishment for burglary and theft, capital punishment laws, public charges, elections, and so on. Of course, every society needs laws that govern them, but what is interesting is that under the ecclesiastical law, Yes, the ecclesiastical law, right? If you don't know what ecclesiastical means, it just means church, (laughs) right? The ecclesiastical law, they make it sound like each church has the freedom to worship as they choose. Point three in this statement says, every church has liberty to exercise all the ordinances of God according to the rules of the scripture. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Every church should be able to organize and exercise the ordinance of God according to the rules of Scripture. But if you go back to point number one, it states that the church you attend must be approved by the state. You can only go to a church approved by the state. And this is what it says. Provided also that the general court doth not nor will hereafter approve of any such companies often shall join in any pretended way of church fellowship unless they shall acquaint the magistrates and the elders of their neighbor churches and where they intend to join and have their approbation therein. In other words, you have to get approval where you go to church by the state, right? Just to make sure there was no misunderstanding, the sixth law, again, this is Massachusetts. This is the United States of America, right? Uh, On this, uh, you know, oh, religious liberty, This was not under the ecclesiastical law, but its very own law makes it clear they were against Baptists. They were against Baptists. This is what it says. For as much as experience hath plentifully and often proved that since the first arising of the Anabaptists about a hundred years past, they have been the incendiaries of commonwealths and the infectors of persons in main matters of religion and the troublers of churches in most places where they have been. So you're the incendiaries, you are the uh, infectors and the troublers here tonight, if you're Baptist, right? And that, listen, and that they who have held the baptizing of infants unlawful have usually held other errors or heresies together therewith. So they're saying, if you don't believe in infant baptism, you're probably a heretic in other areas as well, right? And I don't have time to read this this whole thing, but let me just kind of skip here. It is therefore ordered by this court... And the authority thereof, that if any person or persons within this jurisdiction shall either openly condemn or oppose the baptizing of infants, or go about secretly to to seduce others from the approbation of use thereof, guess what? This is what they said. After due means of conviction... Every such person or persons shall be sentenced to banishment. That means if you teach that you do not accept infant baptism, you are banished from the state of Massachusetts. You're not allowed to live in the state of Massachusetts. 1651, Obadiah Holmes. Some of you may have heard of him. 
The whipping of Obahiadomes is well known to many Baptists. A man by the name of John Spur was a witness to the event. He testified that John Cotton was the Puritan preacher and prosecuting attorney in the case, right? Puritan preacher, prosecuting attorney. Prior to the sentencing, Cotton declared, this is the preacher, right? Denying infant's baptism. This is the Puritan preacher, not Obadiah Holmes. This is the Puritan preacher that said this. Denying infant baptism would overthrow all. And this was a capital offense. And therefore, Holmes and John Clark were soul murderers. This is a Puritan preacher saying this. Saying, because these men, Obadiah Holmes and John Clark, refused to teach and preach infant baptism, then they are soul murderers. Guess what he requested? This is the Puritan preacher. He requested the death sentence for both men. Why? Because they would not accept infant baptism. They believed that you had to be saved before you should be baptized. The death sentence. After uh, they, they did not get the death sentence, they were just beaten. But after the whipping spur and another man named John Hazel went to Holmes, expressed sympathy, concern, uh, and for because of this, Spur and Hazel had warrants issued for their arrest, dated the 5th of the 7th month of 1651, and as they stood before their persecutors, they declared that they were denied the privileges of Englishmen to have legal counsel to be tried by a jury and to know what law they had transgressed. So simply because they had gone to the aid of these men after they had been beaten, right? And this is what they said. The governor replied, you have denied infant baptism and deserve to die. You've denied infant baptism and therefore you deserve to die. I will have no such trash brought to our jurisdiction. Simply because they denied Infant baptism. 1668, in Maine, William Scriven immigrated to Boston from England. In 1668, he became a successful merchant. He also became a Baptist. And when he tried to organize a Baptist church in Boston, he was informed that it would be in violation of the laws of Massachusetts. Remember, we talked about those laws a second ago. So he moved to Kittery in the province of Maine in order to uh, scripturally worship and serve the Lord. After Massachusetts acquired the, area, acquired the area of Maine, the government renewed its persecution of this good man. He was arrested and charged with making blasphemous speeches against the holy order of pedo-baptism. Blasphemous speeches. He was brought before the court at York. And his sentence was read. He was charged with blasphemy and delinquency for condemning infant baptism and for not attending the state-sanctioned church. Denied infant baptism. How about here in Ohio? 1808. Right here, state of Ohio. Milo Jewett was born in 1808 in the family of a successful physician, And as a result, Milo received an excellent education. He graduated from Dartmouth, after which he began a career as a lawyer. It didn't suit him, so he attended Andover Seminary, at which time he trusted Christ as his Savior. After graduation, he became a teacher. In 1834, he accepted a professorship in Marietta College in Marietta, Ohio. Anybody, Everybody know where Marietta is? Just north of Columbus there a little bit, right? A few years later, he was asked to become the pastor of a Presbyterian church. In 1838, he wrote a letter which described a life-changing event in his life. One of the leaders of his church, remember, he's a, what did I say? Presbyterian, right? One of the leaders of his church became a Baptist. And several of the other members attended the baptism of this man. Then they returned to Jewett to defend their denomination's practice of pedo-baptism, the sprinkling of babies. Jewett confessed that he had never studied the subject Never read anything for or against it. He wrote, I entered upon an investigation of the original scriptures relative to the languages used respecting the ordinances. I was compelled to admit as a uh, philologist, which is somebody that just kind of studies languages and interpreter of the Bible, that immersion and that only is the baptism which Christ enjoins. 
Afterwards, I took up infant baptism, and here I find myself in clouds and darkness. I was obliged in the fear of God to conclude that none but believers in Jesus have a right to the ordinances of Jesus. Why did, why did Jesus put baptism here in the Great Commission? Why not just, why not just leave it out? Yes, we do it in obedience to Christ, but there's a reason why. It's showing we are identifying with Jesus Christ. We're identifying with what he did, his death, his burial, his resurrection. We're identifying that. That picture is there, and we're saying, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus has done for me. He died for me. He was buried for me. He rose again for me. And now I'm identifying with him through this public demonstration of baptism. And I am telling everybody else that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus did for me, I'm identifying with him. I'm identifying with the the scriptural doctrine of God's word. Not teaching heresy in that babies need to be baptized so they can go to heaven. Babies don't need to be baptized. Only people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior should follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Again, we just even think about that. We're following the Lord in believers' baptism. It's believers' baptism. And this is something that, again, all throughout history, you, you go back and you study church history and you'll find that those that, that held to the doctrine that we hold to today, that salvation is by grace through faith and it's not by baptism, it's not by works, and babies don't need to be baptized and people that, that aren't, um, aren't saved don't need to be baptized. You're going to find that those people were persecuted and they were martyred all throughout all throughout history, simply because they they held to the word of God that baptism was only for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When someone gets saved, man, praise God, God does something on the inside. He saves them. But God says, now I want you to publicly testify about it on the outside. I want you to testify about it on the outside. And one way that we can do that is through baptism, right? I know we have several in our church that are wanting to be baptized. We're still trying to figure out if this uh, baptistry over here across the way, uh, we can get it working. Uh, We know it holds water. Praise the Lord. It's not leaking. Um, But uh, I remember the first time that I baptized after I came back from Uganda. um, We filled the baptistry. And I don't remember who it was that was was baptized that day. But I I, I stepped into the water and it was freezing cold. I mean, it was like ice. And, and I'm standing in there, and I'm shivering. And uh, this was before I had even bought the waders and things. And, and the people that got in, they got in, they got, and they're standing there. Do you, have you accepted? Yes, I've accepted Christ. Please just baptize me and get me out of here, you know? And, uh, and I remember baptizing them, and they got out, and a couple more, and they got out. And after the service, somebody came up, and they said, Pastor, it looked like you were cold. I was like, I was freezing, man. That was cold. And they said, why didn't you turn the heater on? There's a heater? How come anybody didn't tell me? There ought to be a rule, a list of things that you tell a pastor when they come, and that ought to be the number one thing. There's a heater in the baptistry. (laughs) Nobody told me there was a heater, but I figured out after that day. We made sure it was always nice and toasty after that. So we're, we're working on the heater over there for those of you that want to get baptized. We don't want you to come out as popsicles, you know. And, uh, but... Um, we have some that are wanting to be baptized. Hey, what are they doing? They're saying, hey, I've accepted Jesus Christ, and now I want to make that public. I want to make a public profession of Jesus Christ. Look, I I don't know. I don't know everybody here tonight. Um, I don't know what maybe your backstory is or, or anything like that. But maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you got baptized in a church that, that didn't teach the right doctrine. I would encourage you. You ought to get baptized in a church that teaches the word of God doctrinally scripturally right um if you didn't get baptized the right way with the right method you need to get baptized the right way with the right method with the right authority right the right candidate okay these are these are scriptural things that we find in the bible there's a purpose behind it right 
Um, and this is why, when you think about it, this is, this is part of the Great Commission. Is, is someone going to not only uh, accept Christ as their Savior, but are they going to identify with Jesus Christ? Now, I know today, and, and, and I'll be very honest, especially in our country today, um, in, in this day and in many countries, in, in the Bible day and in many countries around the world today, baptism is such a, is such a public and is such an important thing that um, when a person get, gets baptized, their family disowns them. Because they're saying, you have, you have left our family religion or whatever it might be, um, and so you're, you're no longer part of our family. It, it meant something publicly to get baptized. It meant something to these believers to say, hey, we're not just going to accept anyone's baptism. It needs to be done right. It, it needs to be the right candidate. Somebody needs to be saved, and they need to identify with the right doctrine. Right? It meant something to these men that they were willing to die for it. Not, not just salvation. Yes, they understood salvation was by grace through faith, but even this, this idea of baptism, that we are identifying with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, and we are making this public so that, that everyone knows. It was important enough that they were willing to be put in jail. They're willing to be beaten. They're willing to die for this doctrine. We've just kind of said, oh, it's, it's not really an important thing. No, it is. That's why it's part of the Great Commission, because it's an important thing. It doesn't help us get saved. doesn't give us any special grace, but we're being obedient to Jesus Christ, and we're identifying with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're wanting to tell others, hey, I want you to know I'm a follower of Christ. I want to identify with Christ. He tells us, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We're going to get into verse number 20 a little bit later on. Um, we're going to go through a kind of a, another series um, on verse number 20. Because verse number 20 deals with uh, a, a thing, a topic that uh, I think most of you have, have heard before at the church, and you understand we're, uh, we believe in this very heavily, and that is discipleship. Um, verse number 20 has to deal with strong disciples. We don't just get them saved and baptize them, and now, okay, okay, now they're members of the church or whatever. No, they, we need strong disciples for Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what verse 20 is all about. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that in, in great detail about discipleship and things a little bit later on. Um, but again, we've been given a commission to go, and we want to go. We want to tell people about Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that they're all going to be saved. No. Um, there's going to be some that will reject, but our, our responsibility is to go. And those that do get saved, then we want to encourage them and help them understand the importance of baptism and why they need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism and being obedient to Christ, identifying with him, and then growing in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have lost, I'm afraid, even, and it's really interesting, because we have such technology at, the, at our fingertips, and yet we know so little about our history. Some of you before tonight had never heard of Obadiah Holmes, Isaac Backus, and some of these other men. John Gano and John Clark, and these were, these were Baptists that came to America and helped to establish the freedoms that we enjoy today, the freedom of religion, so that we didn't have to report to a state church and get approval what church we could go to. No, they fought for freedom of religion. And we owe that to them. And yet, so many of us have never even, never even heard their names don't even know who they are. And yet they were willing to die. They were willing to die for these things. It's important. We need to know our history. We need to know what men and women have fought for. Man, aren't you thankful for the men and women in our military? We know about the wars that they have fought. We know about the Vietnam War and the Korean War and World War I and World War II and the Iraq War and Afghanistan War. We know about these wars. Maybe we need to go back and do a little bit more study in the wars that men and women have fought for this word and the doctrines that it holds to. 
to give us a better appreciation of what we experience and what we get to enjoy today. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, Lord, it's important. Every word that you've given to us is important. And Lord, even understanding baptism, Lord, there's a purpose behind it. We're identifying with you. We're identifying with a doctrine, beliefs. Lord, I pray that you just, Lord, help us to stand strong in your word. And Lord, I know that there are even, even churches today that would ridicule us, churches right here in this town that would ridicule us for saying that salvation is only by grace through faith. It would laugh and mock at us and because we don't baptize babies. We only baptize those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be true to your word. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us to be strong. But, Lord, at the same time, may we be kind as well. And, Lord, to show the love of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would just... Lord, just give us a greater hunger and a desire for your word. And Lord, even for, for the, those men and women who have gone before us, these men who are willing to, to stand for, for truth, willing to give their lives, Lord, for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the doctrine that we find in your word. Lord, thank you for these men and their willingness to stand for truth. Lord, I pray you'd help us and give us that strength that we need as well, that we would stand for truth. Lord, just bless. Lord, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you.